Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers. For today's episode of Conversations in Care, I'm lucky enough to speak with three colleagues about how obesity care is being adapted and delivered by telehealth during these unprecedented times. It's important to remember that these are stories from the field that focus on real-time experiences and lessons learned as we transition and adopt the care we provide during this pandemic. These stories are not being shared as best practices, nor are they meant to be interpreted as direct medical advice, but merely reflect real-time perspectives that can help inform our approaches as we all grapple with how to best support our patients with obesity and adopt care delivery during COVID-19. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy these conversations. Hi, this is Sandy Hassink. Today we're going to be um, speaking with Sarah Armstrong, a pediatrician in North Carolina, about Sarah's experiences with telehealth. And I want to welcome Sarah to our conversation and just ask you, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about your practice, um, what kind of practice you have and who you work with and what, what the uh, kids are like? Sure. Well, thank you, Sandy, for having me and for doing this series. Um, it's great to start this discussion given transition to new ways of delivering care for children and teenagers with obesity. So the, um, the practice that I see patients um, at here at uh, Duke University is a tertiary care pediatric weight management program, very similar to many others around the country. We have a team of um, medical providers, a mix of MDs, PAs, and NPs. Um, we have two registered dietitians um, and three physical therapists. We also have a licensed professional counselor um, who is able to see patients to do one-on-one -on -one, um, therapy sessions with the family or the, or the child directly. So typically our, our protocol, um, similar to, to other practices, is we do a comprehensive intake of children with obesity, so with BMI at or above the 95th percentile. Um, we don't have any requirement for comorbidities, although we often see them. Um, we do a comprehensive screening and take and describe the program offerings and then try to see the patients back about once a month face-to-face, -face, at least in the old days, <laughs> um, for, uh, for motivational interviewing-driven goal-setting sessions. Um, we also, in recent years, as uh, advanced treatments have become more available for children, um, we do counsel families about the options for medications or weight loss surgery, um, and we have an adolescent certified program through the MDSA QIP program um, here at Duke for, um, for adolescents 14 and older um, with severe obesity. So we do offer those, those uh, treatment options as well um, for families with children who qualify and to express interest um, in that sort of thing. So Sarah, it's been a challenging time, uh, not to say the least, for all of us, and you have a, uh, a very comprehensive program. Um, I understand you're implementing telehealth for the first time. Um, <laughs> just a couple just a couple thoughts, like how did you start? Who did you start it with, your whole mm -hmm. team, parts of your team? Um, how is it, uh, how are people adjusting? Can you just say a few words about how that sure. rollout has been for you? Yes, well, I expect, like for many people, this was something we had considered doing for a long time and 
certainly would see the value um, for families in being able to do at least a portion of these visits from home, um, where not only it eliminates the need for travel um, and much less of a time commitment, but also the opportunity to meet families truly where they are, which is what we always try to aspire to, um, but really in their own home environment and be able to work through some challenges, you know, given the, the situation that, you know, quite literally we could see. So we've, we've been contemplating it for many years. Um, in North Carolina, um, it hadn't been approved as a reimbursable service. So with the onset of COVID, that policy changed rapidly. So um, we first in the, in the early weeks, we're told that telephone visits were going to receive some minimal reimbursement. And so really within a week, we converted over all of our providers to doing 100% telephone visits for all follow-up patients. And we decided to defer new patients until, you know, we were back in clinic. Um, but as this was apparent, <laughs> this was not going to be a one week out of clinic sort of situation. Um, and as the payers in North Carolina um, quickly amended their policies, um, now all payers, including Medicaid, will reimburse for video visit services at the same rate as in-person services, which is remarkable. Um, we have moved towards converting towards video visits. Now, this has been a process, as you can imagine, and I'm sure as many people are experiencing. Um, there are several logistical barriers, so the providers all need to get trained. Um, and what we found is while the MDs were high up on the list for the institution to train, um, the dietitians uh, were lower down on the list. And so we couldn't get everybody trained all at the same time. So we were gonna have to do this piecemeal, which is a challenge if you have a patient that they have a nine o'clock appointment with the medical provider and a 9.30 with a nutritionist and they have to do one by video and one by phone and oh, it just gets complicated. <laughs> so that that's mm -hmm. one hurdle that Hopefully we're close to we're close to over at this point. Um, one of the other big hurdles um, is on the patient side, um, because at least in the Epic um, EHR that we use, patients have to be signed up for the patient-facing version called MyChart um, in order to access the video visit, um, and um, and that's challenging. It requires all sorts of um, access that we know many of our most at-risk families just don't have a laptop or a phone, internet that's reliable. Um, being able to um, have somebody in the house that can read in English <laughs> enough to sign mm -hmm. them up for my chart and read the instructions. They have to get on the phone with one of the um, information technology staff to walk them through the process of getting on the video visit. So it's no small task. Um, that part, however, I have come to view as a real silver lining um, because patients who are able to access their own electronic health record um, are more informed and they're more able to drive their own care, ask informed questions. So I view it as somewhat of a blessing that we had this uh, a situation that forced sort of a, um, attention to families to help them get, get access to their own, their own health record. Um, so that's been an ongoing process um, for for getting families um, up and running. So I would say most of the challenges at this point have been logistical, um, but when it's worked, um, and we've now had you know, every week we have just more and more of these that are working well, 
I would say overall, um, families and kids really like the opportunity to connect. Um, they're very grateful for not having to travel or expose themselves to a healthcare facility right now. Um, they also have a lot of questions that are different right now. Um, you know, um, how do I keep my child active when we're not really supposed to be around other people and we don't have a big, you know, yard um, to play in? Um, how do I keep my children um, emotionally and socially connected to their friends when they're really not allowed to see them right now? Um, people worried about um, food shortages, people who were facing food insecurity beforehand, um, and now it's even more of a concern um, with their children not receiving school meals mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and uncertainty about where to find food. So, so these, these questions are really personal and private, and being able to discuss them in the, in, you know, in the comfort of their own homes has really been, um, has really been a, um, an upside. Sarah, it sounds like the, the tenor of the visit, by the nature of the fact that it is a video visit and not in the person visit, but also the tenor of the visit, the kind of things that you're discussing are different. How, how is it working with, uh, you're seeing the child with a parent, I guess, do other family members uh, come along for the ride and <laughs> speak with them? Yes, that has been another interesting facet of it. So I know for for many of us who've worked in, in, in weight management for a long time, often you get the situation where a, you know, mom brings the child and says, if only I could get the dad to X, Y, or Z, you know, stop bringing Pepsis into the house or, you know, stop taking her to Bojangles on the way to school. Well, in these situations, we've sometimes seen that the, um, <laughs> the um, aforementioned accused parent <laughs> is often there as well. <laughs> Um, and so it really does open up this opportunity to express concerns about the child's health um, in a way that allows everybody to um, express what their concerns are. Um, so I've, I've heard perspectives um, from people that I don't always hear their perspectives, and that has been, that has been really interesting. Um, another situation that has come up that, that surprised me, um, and it's been something else to cope with is um, when the child is not there. <laughs> mm. So um, somewhat often, I think parents um, are either confused or they're just, you know, trying to make it work. And they're taking the video call from work on a break. And they say how great this is that they can, you know, talk about their child's health and they don't have to be distracted by their child being there. Or I've had a couple times where it's been a early morning video call and the teenager is still soundly asleep. <laughs> and, um, the parent would prefer not to go wake up their grumpy teenager at 8 a.m. <laughs> um, so, you know, that has required a little bit of flexibility, I think, to best understand, you know, what, um, you know, what are the regulations, but also what's ethical, what's appropriate to be done directly with the parents um, if, the, if the child's not part of that conversation. Um, so that's been another interesting twist. So there are many things I'm, I, I'm getting that are, are said that might not be said in uh, in-person visit more family members or more concerns imme immediately about the COVID situation. Do you think there's anything that they're not saying to you that they might have said in an in-person visit? Oh, that is a great question. Um, you know, it's, it's always, um, it's always more difficult, the more degrees, in my opinion, 
the, the more degrees of separation we have. You know, the way I was trained um, was to look at all of the information you get from an encounter with a patient, which includes body language. It includes sort of how they look at each other when, you know, they're, um, when they're talking about things. Um, some of that is really hard to capture by video. And, and I, I will say sometimes I, I end visits and I think, I think there was more to that story than I got. Um, but, um, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully the new, um, we keep saying this, the new normal, whatever that's going to mean, um, could entail a combination of visits that can be done remotely, um, but not to fully replace in person, because I, I really do believe that that relationship and that in-person bond is, um, is important for getting at those, Sandy, like you said, the things that they're probably just not saying um, mm -hmm. when, when you're face-to-face -face with them. You know, um, we take, uh, sometimes we take the physical examination for granted. And I know I always mm -hmm. examined every patient all the time, and people would say, Sandy, why are you doing that? And I said, well, you get, uh, just as you mentioned, Sarah, you get a lot of information, um, mm -hmm. both the, the factual information about what the physical status is, and you just get information when you interact with the patient around the physical exam. Um, is there anything that you have um, Mm -hmm. either missed or thought that we should pay extra attention to because we don't have that physical exam right now yeah. at our disposal? Yeah, I, it, it is a great question. It's one that worries me a little bit. So there's actually a whole category of things that I sort of feel like are reasons to bring somebody in anyway, <laughs> despite the mm -hmm. risk. Um, fortunately, I think we can pick up clues of those things um, through the video visits, so um, it's not like we, you know, are, are missing them entirely, but I do think we need to pay attention and say, you know what, this child really, I need to see them in clinic, um, you know, so let's, let's schedule a follow-up appointment. And that basket of things includes um, some vital signs. So if I have a patient who um, has a history of high blood pressure um, and perhaps they're on medication that could worsen that or they're on antihypertensive, but, you know, I was maybe still tinkering with the dose. Um, you know, that might be somebody that I might say it's, it's time to just come in and get that checked. Um, certainly, I've had a lot of patients, I don't personally, and I, and I don't, you know, I, I think this is probably for each person, each provider to decide their own comfort level, but I personally don't ask patients to self-weigh at home mm -hmm. and report that weight on the video visit. Um, however, a number of them do anyway. Um, so sometimes you get a little bit of information about how things are going based on that information that people give you. Um, but if it does seem like things are really off track, um, coming in to, to, to recheck the body mass index is probably not unreasonable, especially if it hasn't been done in some time. Um, labs, um, that has been probably the most frequent reason I've had people come in. Um, for a follow-up visit, so, um, you know, in particular, um, if I have somebody that had a borderline hemoglobin A1C mm -hmm. and they're reporting any kind of symptoms concerning mm -hmm. for polyuria, polydipsia, I just had one of these patients last week, a 10-year-old, um, who was over 300 pounds and was waking up at night to drink um, and go to the bathroom mm -hmm. and had an A1C three months ago of 6.2. So I said, you know what, oh, yeah. <laughs> this mm -hmm, is worth yeah. the risk. We're coming in. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, um, 
so I think those are ones that we do have to pay special attention to and be willing to say, you know, there's, there is no, gosh, we don't have an algorithm. We don't say this number of risk factors should come in and this doesn't, this is all clinical judgment, but I think we all have to be willing to, um, to do that. Um, the last situation is if, um, if we're monitoring them for advanced therapy, so if they're on a medication for weight loss or um, they're on track for bariatric surgery, um, we are still bringing those kids in, have their vital signs measured, because they really, we don't want them to have to sort of come off the medicine or start over or be, you know, be irresponsible about managing doses, um, dose adjustments without data. So those are the those are the cases where we do bring them in, and and that's where sort of that physical exam piece could come in. You know, if there's something concerning on exam that the family's not sure about, um, that might be another. And, and you can't see it. <laughs> we yeah. our physical exam on the video visit consists of acanthosis plus or minus. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. We also do we also do have patients walk for us, just mm -hmm. to walk down the hallway and walk back, so you can get a good assessment of gait. Um, as well as any pes planus or um, genivalgum. So that's something that you can ask about pain symptoms. But that's kind of the extent of it, of the physical exam, I think, for us at this point. Well, Sarah, you're bringing up a really good point about the nature of obesity medicine, because clearly we're treating a chronic disease, but acute problems mm -hmm. arise in mm -hmm. the context of chronic disease. And I think it's worth just uh, all of us spending a moment to, to recognize that we're doing chronic disease follow-up, but just mm -hmm. as all the examples you mentioned in that context, acute problems, both related to obesity and actually maybe unrelated to obesity can arise. So I think it's worth, um, you know, just reflecting on that and being ready to act on the acute problems um, when, when we need to. Is there any specific, uh, as we wrap up, advice you would mm -hmm. give practitioners? You've given us so much uh, really incredibly uh, useful uh, information. Any other advice or, or counsel you would give practitioners in this time of telehealth visits for their patients with yeah. obesity? Well, um, thanks so much for saying that, Sandy. I, I feel more like we're all learning together, um, and it's great to have so many people in this um, you know, tight-knit community of childhood obesity um, clinicians that, um, that we can all kind of share our experiences and, and learn, learn together. Um, I guess the one other thing I would add is, um, is that I think um, being, you know, gentle with ourselves um, and with our patients as we all learn this new way of interacting together. Um, for my very first video visit, I'll just share that I had a um, patient who um, who knew that it was my first time doing this video visit, and um, they were so supportive of me. <laughs> the patient kept saying, you're doing great, Dr. Armstrong. You can make your way through this. <laughs> um, and just, just having the support for each other to recognize that this is new, and, you know, um, I might press the wrong button, and we're completely logged out, and then I have to figure out how to get back in, and to be able to just laugh about that and not get too worried. Um, is, is really, I think, the way that we'll, we'll learn, okay, and make it through this together. It's been such a pleasure, and I know that you are outside in the beautiful North Carolina weather. We hear the birds <laughs> chirping, and, you know, you're modeling the way for all of us. Uh, and uh, just thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise with us And uh, uh, as you continue on the telehealth journey. So thanks a lot, Sarah. 
So hello, welcome to our podcast today on delivering telehealth visits to children with obesity. And I have uh, today with me Dr. Sarah Hample from Kansas City, Missouri, who provides care for um, children with obesity in an obesity treatment programs out of Children's Mercy Hospital. Sarah's been involved in obesity research, prevention, and treatment for many years, and we look forward to uh, her her perspectives on the use of telehealth with our patients. And Sarah, I, I know uh, if you would like to start by just introducing yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about your patients and, and your weight management program. Sure. So um, as Sandy said, I've been working in weight management um, for about 20 years now, um, seeing kids with obesity in their families. And I uh, work with a great team of individuals, medical providers, um, dietitians, social workers, wonderful nurses, administrative assistants, and evening group education coordinators who teach our group program. So our um, clinical program consists of weight management clinics, as well as uh, group programs for kids and families. And our clinics, um, we have kind of a, a main weight management, general weight management clinic called Fit Kids Weight Management Clinic. And then we have a couple of specialty clinics for uh, kids in weight management. One is for kids with um, special health care needs and obesity, led by my colleague, Dr. Meredith Dreyer Gillette. And uh, our other uh, specialty clinic is led by Dr. Brooke Sweeney, and she's our medical director for weight management. And she uh, and colleagues operate our metabolic bariatric clinic, which um, is for kids that are on uh, the surgical track for bariatric surgery and um, recovering from bariatric surgery. Our group programs are for younger kids, again, um, led by Dr. Dreyer Gillette, um, up to the age of nine. And then we have a little longer program for kids um, between the ages of 10 and 18 called Fit Kids Evening Group. And it has been a challenge in, um, in the, uh, during the pandemic. And uh, what we have found so far is that um, it's actually working quite well. There's definitely a learning curve, but it's working quite well to see our families in our clinics um, through uh, telehealth. And I'm, I'm glad to talk with you more about that, Sandy. So, Sarah, uh, have you used telehealth before the pandemic started? Yes, so we, um, Children's Mercy has four different regional clinics um, in two in Kansas and two in Missouri. And we were accustomed to seeing kids in outlying areas who would come to our regional clinics. We would be at the main uh, Children's Mercy campus and see them by telehealth and it would cut off several hours from their travel um, if they were to just go to our one of our regional facilities. And we have uh, technology such that we're able to do not only the interview and the history, but also the physical exam um, with the help of nurses um, at those facilities who have equipment that enables us to, to do the physical exam. So we were accustomed to doing initial visits as well as follow-up visits um, for both ourselves and our uh, dietitians and social workers were, uh, we were doing that. And so, that made it a little easier to transition into um, the telehealth mode. And um, you know, how we're, how we're doing that is basically through a, a platform called Microsoft Teams and families are contacted um, and they give their permission, um, their consent for a virtual visit and that's documented and the families receive um, an, 
an email with instructions about um, how to prepare for the visit and then on a mutually agree, agreed upon uh, date and time, then we contact the family. So Sarah, what are the main differences uh, you're seeing between your previous uh, telehealth visits and the, the visits you're doing now with your family? Um, that's a, a good question. I think there are multiple differences. Um, you know, some can be viewed as kind of <clears throat> barriers or limitations, but others can be, I think, reframed into strengths. Um, so, you know, maybe starting out with the strengths, I think we're all getting um, a unique um, insight into uh, families living at home and being able to, to talk with them in their home environment. And that's, you know, that's a real privilege. Um, so, even when families were going to our telehealth facilities, again, it was a, a medical facility and not a um, not a home. So being able to see the patients in their homes, congrat, you know, um, kind of compliment them on um, different things. Like I had a child yesterday show me these really great posters that she <clears throat> had been making with her her mom, um, and you get to see a little a little bit different an aspect of their lives. It's more real life, so I really appreciate that. Um, I think, too, um, we are uh, limited, again, by the fact that we can't do a physical exam, but, um, but we are, I think, able in some ways to be a little bit more relaxed with families and have them, um, we want to put them at ease right away and just acknowledge what a tough time this is for everyone. Um, so I think, you know, some of the main differences um, can be reframed as strengths. Um, I think also, um, I know there were some, there have been um, sometimes some concerns among families about just life in general and routines. And I think just as important as us trying to talk with families and set goals with them collaboratively, it's probably just as important to ask them how they're feeling about adjusting to this, um, this time and just setting up family routines and are they able to do that with ease or is it really a challenge for them? And that's where um, the AAP and other resources have come in so handy in just general life and parenting and stress management um, in this time, because again, we're finding a lot of families struggling with, with just how to you know, get their kids on a routine to do their schoolwork, to have regular meals and snacks, to have regular bedtimes. I think that's been one thing I've really been struck with is um, sleep hygiene and sleep habits are, are uh, really off for some kids during this time. So Sarah, have you had uh, any, have your families had any difficulty connecting with you or um, do you feel that your no-show rate, so to speak, is any different from what it was when you were seeing them in clinic? I think our, our no-show rate has uh, decreased, so I'm really grateful for that. Most of um, the families that have been contacted do get a reminder within about 48 hours of the um, of the time that I'm going to be uh, calling them. So the uh, we were doing that before, but uh, it seems like our, our uh, attendance rate in the in the virtual clinic is better than it was in the um, face to face clinic. And I think in terms of other um, connectivity issues, we're finding that most of our families do, they have cell phones and they are able to download the app um, that it requires to be able to visit with us face-to-face -face, um, on the screen. 
there have really only been a handful of families that we needed to do just a straight telephone visit rather than actually be able to see them either through their um, computer or their cell phone. That's really reassuring to know that most families, one way or another, have access uh, to, to you in the clinic. Um, can you tell me, have you, have you done anything with your group visits uh, through telehealth? So we, um, we have done some individual phone calls with families that were um, in our group programs at the time the pandemic um, required us to, to stop the in-person visits. Um, we have not yet been able to restart like uh, or start a virtual group um, where everybody would see each other um, and us on the screen. Unfortunately, we do have a, a colleague that is doing uh, that as part of a, a federally funded research study. So we're we're learning from her as much as we can, but we haven't been able to really continue our groups, which is very, um, very, we feel really bad about that and are very anxious to explore other opportunities to do that. Sarah, I know that uh, in telehealth, the physical exam component is the most challenging um, one because we don't have access to our ability to do um, a, a physical exam. Um, how are you coping with that? And have you found anything that helps you assess uh, the physical? So uh, one thing that we have started doing is um, sending out information to parents ahead of time with that um, electronic invitation to um, have them get the child's height and weight at home. And there's a really nice guide that comes in English and Spanish on the CDC website um, that gives parents guidance and it even includes some visuals for parents about how to do their child's height um, and also how to, to weigh their child if they have a scale. So uh, those are things that we're doing. Um, in addition to that, as far as other physical exam findings, we're not really um, trying to you know, assess for acanthosis or anything, um, but definitely um, on those initial visits, if a, a if a parent has a concern about a certain um, sign or symptom that the child is experiencing, we we do go through our review of systems and we're asking those questions and encouraging parents to you know to speak up if they've noticed anything. That's great, and I think that um, we're all feeling. Uh, the challenge of uh, giving as complete an exam and a visit as we possibly can. So thank you very much for those insights on how we can move forward um, doing just that. So, you know, we're all thinking about the challenges and the opportunities as you think forward, maybe past the epidemic. Do you think that you will be increasing your uh, telehealth use and maybe even expanding it to groups as you understand the technology better? I do. I think that it has been, um, you know, it's really been an eye-opening experience and we're learning as we go with it. And I, I think that that we are um, in agreement as a team that this really has increased convenience for, for families quite a bit. And also our show rates are better, which is, is very important. And again, with the, um, with learning from others, just like, um, like you're, Trying to spread the um, the knowledge here today, Sandy, and also just learning from our colleagues around the country and through email and so forth. I think um, that's been a really valuable experience. We learn how other people are doing it at other places and can apply those um, those emerging best practices to um, to our clinic and group situation. 
I think now more than ever, it's really important to be patient and family centered and recognize that um, we and they are going to have to ex adapt expectations um, from what we might do in a face to face clinic visit to just, you know, be be more um, acknowledging of, of the tough time that this is and being able to support families again in more of those general um, routine setting and scheduling types of ways um, than maybe we were accustomed to in the past. Sarah, to, to sort of elaborate on that, um, have you found that that during this time you've, you've changed either your approach or the kinds of goals families want to be setting at this time? What's your, been your uh, feeling about how the goal setting is going with the families? You know, we're trying to um, remain as patient centered as possible. I think one thing that has changed is we we tend to give uh, we tend to um, not push for very many goals and we didn't before really either. But we um, maybe where we would have set two or three goals, we might set one goal now um, and it may um, not be as uh, directly related up you know, from the outside looking in to healthy eating or active living, but it, you know, we know it's something that directly relates, whether it be helping them set up a schedule or working on better sleep habits. Um, so we're really trying to to be patient and, and parent driven with it still, but I think we're, we're also not wanting to overwhelm them with this, um, just like they may be feeling overwhelmed in other areas of their of their home life and their work life. So we're we're really kind of keeping it lighter, so to speak. And I think we're also um, maybe even uh, pushing, not pushing, but just encouraging um, technology more than than perhaps we had before first of all we're definitely especially this time of year kids please go outside please get the fresh air that's exposure to nature and how good it is for their emotional health as well as their physical health but um but you know then again we're also realizing that some parents may not want their kids to be outside when they are not home if they are a parent that is still continuing to to leave the home for work and um, and so to keep the kids active during the day, giving them some brain breaks in between um, assignments and so forth, we're recommending some um, some websites to look into and also, uh, you know, getting the kids more involved in um, in being able to do some healthy food preparation. Clearly, you're you're really patient and family focused. Have you had any feedback from your um uh, clinic uh, for your children with special health care needs about how that's going with their telehealth visits? You know, I have not uh, directly and I should have should have asked my colleague before um, before today's call. I do think that that one the one thing that I have heard from her doesn't necessarily um, is not necessarily exclusive to kids with special health care needs, but um, just uh, parents uh, you know, who we might recommend go pick up like a, you know, a jump rope for your child or something relatively inexpensive to help facilitate physical activity. Parents are really needing to make difficult choices. Yes, they'd like to do that, but they also need food. And so we're really being careful about um, screening for food insecurity and being able to refer to area resources for that. Um, most all of our school districts are, are also um, continuing to supply um, 
meals for uh, breakfasts and lunches for kids that um, qualify. You know, it's so important, um, as you have outlined uh, so well, how uh, you need to be attuned to the situation families are actually in um, and what the challenges are of daily life as well as uh, weight management during this time. What, what impact do you think this may have, uh, if any, on the relationship that you have with your patients? Um, I, I'm hopeful that it will, um, for families that we're seeing for the first time via telehealth, I hope that we are able to convey well enough how much we care about them and how much we are looking forward to being able to see them in person and um, continue to work with them and support them. Um, so maybe kind of an engagement tool in a way for those um, families that we're seeing um, for the first time over the screen and for families that we already know, I think um, it's it goes a little easier um, on our end. I think we feel a little bit more comfortable um, uh, because we already have rapport established with those families and just encouraging them, you know, to hang in there. Um, we are planning on seeing you again face to face. Um, but we're also um, realizing how um, much of a convenience factor this does add for families to be able to do these visits this way. So we're trying to kind of leave the door open for either modality um, when we when we conclude the, the call. Is your feeling that uh, are families um, taking to this and preferring it, or do you think that they'll just say when this is over, we, we'd rather come in, or, or what what is the sort of mix of feelings you're getting from your families about preferring one modality over the other if they do? I think for our families that we're seeing for the first time by telehealth, um, I've heard from several of those families that they, you know, they really are looking forward to meeting the rest of our team in person. Um, and for the families that we already know um, that we've been working with longer term, I think that um, for the most part, they've been pretty, pretty flexible with you know, with whatever um, can work. So I, I think that they've shown some interest in continuing phone visits if possible, but I think everybody's a little bit stir crazy uh, these days and would <laughs> welcome the chance when possible to get out and actually see, somewhere. <laughs> see people face to face, yeah. Right, so Sarah, this has been really um, a, a wonderful snapshot of how uh, things are going with you, you and your patients. Is there anything you'd like to uh, tell our audience about uh, telehealth visits or encourage them in any way before we uh, before we wrap up here? I think um, one thing that I, I might mention is that we do have the opportunity to prepare families um, to some degree before our initial visit with them because we're sending out this email invite. We can also uh, give them a heads up that we may want to speak to the parent privately so that they'll know in advance and give them some ideas about how that could be done. I've had parents um, be okay with us starting out with the parent and child and then at the point, um, if there's a point at which we really want to talk to the parent um, by themselves, they've like gone out in their car if they have a small home or an apartment um, and spoken with us there. And that's that's fine too. But I think the more um, that we can give them in terms of information to help them prepare for the visit, um, the better. And I think the other thing that's really been um, helpful is encouraging families to sign up for our existing parent portal 
where we um, can share information back and forth with them and be able to provide, you know, again, um, as many resources that, as we can that we could send in an email with links um, so that they would just have to click on it to be able to see it. So um, I guess for, um, you know, for my colleagues out there, I'd say, please um, try it and also reach out and ask, you know, ask for, for help or um, ask for uh, suggestions or if you have questions, I know that that um, there's some some informal kind of networks that are already developed through power and compass and um, and other and section on obesity, certainly, um, and then the coach program. So I think that there are some um, ways that you can get your question out there um, for others to respond to. So I think that this is a great time for us to be sharing what we have found to be successful. Sarah, I'd like to thank you very much for your time and your expertise and wish you and your team well as we were all taking this journey together. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on for this podcast. Thanks for the opportunity. So welcome everybody to my conversation with Dr. Tori Rogers from Maine about telehealth and uh, in general and how telehealth is being uh, used by the docs in Maine uh, to take care of the children with obesity that they follow. So welcome, Tori. Hi, Sandy, thanks for having me here. So I wanted to start, Tori, by just sort of talk a little bit about your work in Maine and about the practices that you work with in general, just to acquaint us with uh, what's going on up there. Sure, so um, in Maine, we run a program called 5210 Let's Go, where we work uh, throughout our communities of Maine and in Carroll County, New Hampshire, to make it easier for kids to eat healthy and move more. Like many people doing around the country, we've been doing this for about um, 12 to 15 years here. Really, for the last 10, we're really focused on this multi-setting environment where we work with doctors to make sure they've got consistent messaging and appropriate tools and resources to talk to patients about the prevention and management of treatment of obesity. We also work with schools and school cafeterias and early care and education sites to make sure that they have healthy food there. Um, and we're really excited about the really promising work that's been happening in Maine. Environments are changing, their policies are being um, written that are very strong and implemented, and behaviors are improving and our obesity rates appear to be stabilizing. So we're very excited about that. We work with about 200 healthcare practices uh, throughout the state of Maine, and, and I said in Carroll County, New Hampshire. And the practices are school-based health centers, federally qualified health centers, family practices, pediatric practices. We actually work with about 40 to 45 practices that care for adults too. Um, so, and when we work with those practices, we provide them the five turn zero tools about just having the good conversations around healthy eating and active living. We also ask them to accurately weigh and measure their patients starting at birth to two, as you and I've had many conversations at, um, about if we can identify these kids earlier on um, and, and their weight for length and their abnormal weight for length, we can make a, a quick intervention, we hope. I shouldn't say it's a quick, we can make an earlier intervention. So we do that. Um, we also, um, as we're working in these uh, sites for our healthcare sites, I'll focus on that now, we train our doctors to use motivational interviewing techniques to have respectful conversations with their patients and families. 
And we've been doing a lot of work on this and we're really excited. We've done webinars on motivational interviewing and trainings. Um, I go around to many practices and do trainings on this. But in our typical fashion, it's like the, you know, the typical encounter you have with your pediatrician and the patient um, and the patient maybe in the family. It's in the room and it's in the room um, and you have these conversations about, hey, how things are going, and if they're on medications, how are your medications going, and all within the exam room. And so when COVID-19 came and we all had to change how we were interacting personally and professionally, we started thinking at Let's Go, like, how is how are we going to be able to have these 5 to 1 zero conversations? So I'll tell you a little bit of how we're doing it around prevention, and then I'll tell you about how our colleagues who are treating patients with obesity, how they're doing it. So our 5 to 1 zero, as we all know, that well visits are on hold except for kids um, in Maine. Um, it's, you know, at birth to about six months, we're still doing the well visits. They are doing well visits um, in person, and then so it's zero to six. And then we're doing well visits six months uh, um, and telehealth, we're doing the well visits. And 5 to 1 zero comes in there. So what we're finding is that we're able to have those conversations. Sometimes the MA will get on uh, first and do the rooming in, right, with the, the Zoom or whichever technology you're going to use, and do screening questionnaires. So they're doing the screening questionnaires right there. So we're able to still have those preventive conversations uh, around obesity. Um, so before I go into the specifics of how we work with patients with obesity, Sandy, do you have any questions about anything I just said? So, Tori, are you seeing uh, variability in how the different kinds of practices are implementing telehealth or uh, seeing yeah. any, in general, sort of specific or general challenges in their implementation just of this technology? Of the, of the technology, absolutely. So, what we're seeing is that some practices were ahead of the game on this. Um, we've got a practice, Val O'Hara's practice up in northern Maine. She's been doing telehealth from her practice to other practices. So, patients because Maine's a very rural state. So patients, instead of driving three hours to see Val for a visit, the patient would go into their primary care practice and Val would telehealth from her office to the primary care practice office and the patient was there. So Val had been doing telehealth for a while. So people like Val, that this was no brainer, instead of doing it from her office to another office, she was just doing it from her office to home. So a couple things I'll tell you about what people are saying is that a lot of people are using Zoom. A lot of people are using different formats. A lot of people are doing the whole visit um, at the same time where the patient will get roomed in, as I said, by an MA. Sometimes a couple days beforehand. So I think it really depends on the technology you're using. And it also depends on the provider's ease of the technology and um, we started doing this pretty rapidly, what, four or five weeks ago, and now people are going like, oh, what we did four weeks ago isn't working as well as what we do now. A couple things I'll say about it is um, a couple people have said to me that, you know, when you know you have your doctor's appointment, you know it's on Tuesday at 10. And so it's on your calendar, it's Tuesday at 10, and that's all great. Well, when you're working from home or you're studying from home, and you're doing laundry and then you're jumping on a call, the Tuesday at 10 doctor's appointment can get lost. So sometimes the docs have had to call up and say, hey, are you ready to get up on the Zoom call? And the patient's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I forgot. Yep, I'll get right on it. So there's been more of those. That said, there's been less of the 
the no-shows, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's really interesting. Um, we're also finding about 50% of the patients, these are from um, uh, the patients who are being seen for obesity care, 50% of them love this technology. And it's the adolescents are eating it up. They know it. They've been doing this for a while. 50% of them say, I want to do this after COVID, right? And then 50% say, I'm happy to do this now, but I think I'd rather see you in person. Um, mm -hmm. So we're so from the technology point of view, I think it happens lots of different ways for lots of different reasons. I will say um, people are talking about post-COVID, absolutely this will be part of your repertoire or your part of your um, menu of how you see patients, right? You know, we used to have nurses do phone follow-up. My guess is we'll be doing some Zoom follow-ups, right? We'll be doing, this is just part of how we do things. I, I will say, um, so that's a little bit of the technology. One thing I want to say about the technology that I found was fascinating. I had a, a bum elbow and I needed to do a follow-up um, visit with my orthopedic surgeon, my sports medicine guy. And I was excited um, mostly because I wanted to see how the technology would work for me as a patient. And he used something very similar to Zoom. And what was fascinating to me was normally when you're in the doctor's offices, you're not absolutely looking straight ahead at the doctor, right? He might, he or she might be at the side or maybe they're typing or maybe they're looking away or, or you might be looking away. When you're doing telehealth, you're seeing the patient, I mean, the provider right in front of you, what I felt, it was an incredible encounter because I was like, he's listening to me because he's looking at me, which I, and we actually talked about it because I know him and I'm like, this is absolutely incredible. I thought this was a great experience. It was quick. He was looking at me and I've had other people say the same thing. They feel a different connection because you're looking at the computer and you see that person straight on. And so when you think about the technology and and the format, that that also can be difficult. I mean, you know, there is obviously when you're having some difficult conversations, you may want to look down or to the side and that's still okay. But when you really want to try to get the attention of your provider or your patient, you, you have this opportunity that you may not have had in the exam room in the same way. So from a technology point of view, um, that's sort of what we're finding. You know, I, I think it's fascinating because um, I think the opportunity to have that connection and to foster that connection is still there with the technology because I think people sometimes think, well, we're using technology, so how can I have uh, a warm connection? How can I foster my relationship? And I mm -hmm. think you're pointing out that the opportunity is there to foster yeah. this relationship with your, with your doctor or your provider. Um, do you want to talk a little bit now, and we can circle back certainly on the technology, but talk a little bit now about the, the folks doing obesity treatment yes. and how this is working out for them? Yeah, absolutely. So when this first came up, my colleague, Carrie Gordon, who is an extraordinary, um, extraordinary clinician, she's a nephrologist who's now just doing solely obesity medicine. Um, she was on it right when we were told to sort of, you know, go home and, and cancel patients. She was like, I'm not canceling. I'm just going to call them. And we were like, I'm like, well, just zoom them. And, you know, so she's like, I think this is great. So she was ahead of the game. And a couple of things that we're finding are some real wins. In a rural state like Maine, um, this is a huge win. There are so many patients who are like, oh, wow, I can jump on this. And it's not going to be four hours out of my time, you know, two hours to the doctor's office, maybe an hour there and then two hours back to your home. So that would have been five hours. 
And that happens a lot in our state. There's people who definitely travel more than an hour or two to see the doctor for 30 minutes. So that, the first thing she realized is all these people who were no-shows, now they're very willing to jump on a Zoom call. People are really excited. Um, they're in your home, and so you can sort of see their home, and so people are excited about that. Uh, they're more relaxed, Carrie is finding. Um, and I can understand that. They're in there, you know, when you go into a doctor's office and sometimes it's right associated with a hospital, it's got a sterile feel to it, right? So oftentimes when the doctors are doing the telehealth, they may be doing it from their home right now, or they may be doing it from one exam room. You just have this different feel to it. Uh, there's a couple of things that have been real wins. As Carrie said, there's a couple of times where people have said, oh man, I, I wanted to bring you that, my, my prescription bottle, because there was something written on it. Well, now Carrie can say, go get it. Let's just take a look at it. Mm -hmm. or one mm -hmm. person said, my dad's on this medication for weight loss and I was interested in it. And Carrie's like, well, go get your dad's medication. Um, Carrie's been able to see some, as she's talking to the parents, sometimes in the background, the kids um, who may be on the spectrum, um, the autistic spectrum are jumping around the background. And she's like, that's great. Cause they can get, they can, they probably couldn't be doing that in the exam room. Right. But in the back of the living room, as the mom's having this conversation or dad, the kid's doing what he or she needs to do to stay focused. Um, the other thing that she's finding, the patients are incredibly grateful, incredibly grateful for people reaching out at this time. We're all sort of in need of, um, connections. And for folks who are struggling with a chronic disease like obesity, that connection is even is even stronger, right? So Carrie is finding that her patients are so grateful um, that Carrie's there and taking this time. Um, a couple other things before I get into some of the challenges. Um, mostly what she's been doing right now is talking about mental health. So because probably of COVID, right? Um, so understanding that when you do these visits, um, as you would any visit, you have to sort of see what the patient brings in with them and then craft the visit around that. She's able, she does use medications um, for a number of her patients. So she's able to work on those kinds of things. She's done new patients. She's done sick patients um, and she's done follow-ups. So she doesn't, she thinks she can do it all. Her MA goes in a couple days before and does the check-in and does all the screening and then Carrie goes in and does it. Um, a couple challenges though, um, is that, you know, for the less verbal kids, this is hard. So kids who may be more introverted or shy, this can be hard again, because the doc's staring straight at you. Um, it can be hard for some of the kids on the autistic spectrum. Um, but the other thing that we've talked about is privacy. And so at the beginning of each of the telehealth, um, Carrie has to say, I'm in a room, I'm all by myself, there's nobody here, nobody can hear you, but in all honesty, we just have to disclose that. Um, and on the other end, we've talked about it is sometimes the patient may be in a place that's not very private. And so Carrie always says, um, do you want to have conversations about X, Y, or Z? Or I'd like to talk a little more about um, some things that may be uh, um, uncomfortable. Are you in a place that we can talk about that? Because you can envision that many of our patients and families may not have many place close, close places to go for a private conversation. So that's definitely a challenge. Um, she hasn't seen it, but we acknowledge that it potentially could be a challenge on that. Um, and then what she's also said is sometimes then you need to like say, hey, we'll, we'll put that off till I can see you in person. 
Um, a couple of things, um, as I think everybody knows, the insurance companies have agreed to reimburse for telehealth at this period. I know the American Academy of Pediatrics is actively looking at, at this issue, and we hope that continues. Right now, Carrie is just billing for time. Um, she sees a lot of the our Medicaid kids, so that's fine. Um, and lastly, I was just going to say, she's so excited about this. She thinks this is just going to be definitely part of how she does medicine. And then lastly, I'll say, and we're very excited. We've done this um, not just in our obesity work at our children's hospital, but oftentimes we're having primary care providers zoom in with the patient and the specialist. And that's an opportunity to, um, to, for everybody to learn, right? For the specialist to maybe learn a little more about the primary care providers and the relationship for the primary care provider to understand what the specialist is doing. And I think that potentially you could see how then the primary care provider could do some of these visits on his or her own. So another really positive thing that I think will continue onward. Well, Tori, you know, that's such a, a great summation of, of sort of the state of the art right now and, and uh, how it's evolving. A couple questions, because I'm fascinated with the connection between the provider, say the primary and the subspecialist, and the, the live connection, so to speak, and how important mm -hmm. and fruitful that could certainly be. Have you, and you're, you're uh, doing so much work in the community, um, maybe not now in this epidemic, but do you see a potential for this, for connection with the provider and the community, um, the school or early education yeah. or the community services? Um, do you see opportunity yeah. there? Yes, absolutely. We had already been doing a bit of that, which was great. So I do, I'm connected very much to Head Start and to WIC and to our schools. We work, um, and I think 65% of all of our public schools we're affiliated with. And so we've reached out and many and our colleagues across the states have reached out to the superintendents and say, hey, how can we help? And so we think this is the beginning and, and it was mostly around, in all honesty, around COVID and some issues around school closing. But to me, I saw the opportunity of getting pediatricians more involved with school health. So I think, um, and this idea that we can do more and more with this telehealth piece, right? It's easier, people are getting very comfortable with this format and it's easier for us to say like, hey, let's just jump on a call. And, and what I'm finding is um, the more you can see somebody, the more you can be like, oh yeah, hey, that's Jill. I know Jill now and you make those connections. And, um, and I think we can all sort of see, as we've always said at Let's Go, if the healthcare provider does his part and the superintendent does her part and the ECE and early care does her part and out of school does his part, before we know it, we have surround sounded this child mm -hmm. with messaging and environments that are healthy. And I think going forward, there's many, many lessons from COVID, but one of them is we all can work together and find a space to do that in. Yeah, and that's so important because this, again, may present an opportunity to make those connections. I think all of us really mm -hmm. so deeply desire to make with the support systems in the community. Mm -hmm. A couple other thoughts I had was I wonder if um, the frequency of visits has changed or revisits has changed for people, may uh, increased or decreased, and what about the length of uh, these follow-up visits or, or new visits? Any, any feedback from your providers about that? Oh, yes, the frequency. People want to do more and more of it, right? Um, they're very interested, um, and there's there's space in people's calendars to do more of it. So, yes, so the frequency, um, people want to do more of it. Um, the length is usually about 30 minutes. Um, some of the newer patients was 45 minutes, and 
as Carrie said, sometimes it's just like when you're in the exam room with a patient and you're feeling like it's a really positive interaction for the patient and family, you just stay longer. And you, you know, that kind of screws up a little bit of your next couple patients, but that's what they're finding with Zoom. Um, you know, you do know that depending on the technology, you have to close that one encounter out and then start the next one. We do have many Zoom um, or telehealth accounts that people can use. So I think the frequency people want to do more of it and the length um, can vary from a quick 15 minute one to up to 30 to 45 minutes. I would say more than 45 minutes is, is tough anyway, right? Um, yeah. So I, I think there's a limit that you're going to put on this. Um, we are finding that um, right now providers are primarily doing this, but in our obesity clinic, we have um, social workers and dietitians who also potentially are going to be doing this. Um, and then lastly, um, this is sort of into telehealth, but we've been doing some work with our medical students and residents around uh, culinary medicine and teaching them how to cook. Um, and we're going to continue to do that work and potentially also, as we're thinking about doing sort of cooking classes for our medical students and residents, thinking about how we bring in some of our patients and families into those cooking classes, whether they'll be the same cooking classes or separate, um, most likely separate right now. But again, using telehealth to do the things that you were going to do anyway, uh, it will be a different experience, but we'll find some things that are positive and some things that are challenging. So, you know, I think um, it's a so exciting in in the midst of all the stress uh, to have some excitement about the potential of this methodology. And in my mind, I was thinking, gee, you know, the the patients could get to the point where they'll just call their doc and say, hey, could we have FaceTime? You know, so um, I I think that we're going to see a lot of of change that will benefit um, people that are uh, working, people in rural states, people that just want a, a more frequent visits. Um, and can't have them because of the travel. So, uh, Tori, is there anything that you've learned from your providers that you'd like to offer to our audience as we wrap up? Any pieces of advice or uh, encouragement that you'd like to offer? Well, I, I just, what I've learned from my providers, they're incredibly resilient, our providers, and they were quick to jump on, like, how do I make sure that I just take care of the pediatric patients and our immunizations and making sure that that we don't lose all of that really amazing preventive care that we give. And then they also realized that we had definitely had vulnerable populations. You know, patients with obesity seem to be doing worse with COVID. Um, and so they're realizing that we need to be, you know, going forward in our prevention measures around obesity work and also working with our patients with obesity. And so they felt very strongly that there, for pediatrics, we're not on the front lines of dealing with COVID-19 to the same extent as our adult colleagues. That said, we should stay on the front lines of pediatric child health, and this is a great way to do it. Um, I, I also, um, so much in medicine, you know, there's people can get kind of disenfranchised and get a little jaded. This has really energized people. People have been really energized by it because I think their patients have been energized. And so um, that's exciting to see. And again, we'll, you know, we've been doing this for four weeks. Um, and so I'm sure there's so much more to learn and, and, we'll, and we'll adapt to it. But I, again, the resiliency of our providers and our provider teams to continue to do the hard work that they need to do is um, just, just great. Um, so thank you for the opportunity to share our main experience.
Well, Tori, thank you very much, and we hope you, we could get opportunities to continue uh, to share and, and learn about your journey in telehealth and, and with obesity prevention and treatment. And uh, I want to thank you very much for sharing your time and expertise with us. Anytime. information, resources, or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. Variations, taking into account individual circumstances, may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care from the perspective of clinicians. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.